Good afternoon and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy. He is the Thunder Beat reporter for the Oklahoman, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing today? Michael, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Doing all right. Um, you know, just uh, surviving the cold right now, just trying to get through some of the, the dryness. It's gotten a little bit warm, but it's still pretty chilly out it's right now. It's very windy. I, I hear the wind howling through uh, every crack and crevice in my home. Um, but it, it's supposed to be unseasonably warm today, so something to look forward to. Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Hopefully, go to the game without wearing a jacket on the way in or the way out. That's usually it. I mean, usually um, when we get done with the presser, you and I talk by the doors, and it's just me bracing before the cold of going outside. <laughs> I would advise bringing a jacket. It's still January after all. Absolutely. Well, the season has been hot and cold as well. The Thunder get a hot win of 150 to 117 over the Boston Celtics, just as everyone expected, especially whenever we heard that Shea Gilgis Alexander wasn't going to play. What were your overall thoughts and biggest takeaways from that just crazy game? Well, my biggest takeaway was probably the most surprising regular season game of the season for the Thunder and I didn't think any anything would top that Grizzlies game from a couple of weeks ago when Shea also sat and the Grizzlies were close to full strength obviously John Morant got ejected in the second quarter but even then even before then the Thunder was in control and uh, this Celtics game was you know like that Grizzlies game but um, several several levels notched up from there. I mean, the Thunder absolutely dominated the Celtics, 150 to 117. It was one of those games where you were waiting for the Celtics to make a run, but instead of it coming in the third quarter, the Thunder kept pouring it on, and I described it like it felt like the Thunder were toying with the Celtics, which is like an insane thought, but like Jalen Williams just driving down an empty lane, dunking, uh, Josh Giddy in the third quarter, nailing threes. It was like a celebration for the whole second half, and to do all of that without SGA, when Tatum is in, Brown is in, um, Horford, Smart, really the Celtics were only missing Robert Williams. So just a just a wild result. For sure. And we get Shea in a very, very late scratch in the pregame presser. We find out Aaron Wiggins is going to start. And we joked around, this is the ultimate test of the Aaron Wiggins is undefeated as a starter, but now they are 7-0. 7-0. and and um, four and zero on Tuesdays, which is another favorite little stat of mine. So when Aaron Wiggins starts on a Tuesday, the Thunder are basically unbeatable, um, and that's what happened in, in this game. Um, but yeah, the the Wiggins you no know, finally asked him about it after the game, and he had a great answer. He just sort of chuckled and said like, "Yeah, people have tagged me about that, but I don't pay any attention to it," which is probably the right answer. Um, but it's still it's still sort of fun to track, and then I know we'll get to the Magic game, but they play a night later. Aaron Wiggins is not in the starting lineup, and the Thunder lose. I mean, it's uh, I'm not saying anything, but I'm kind of saying something here. Just connecting the dots there. Yeah, you have the Tuesday Thunder with Aaron Wiggins starting, the 73-9 and Warriors, the 72-10 and Bulls, the Showtime Lakers, just you're the Mount Rushmore of great NBA basketball right there. Now, what do you mean 73-9 and nine Warriors? They're on an 82-game pace with Aaron Wiggins. They're the first undefeated NBA team in history with Aaron Wiggins in the lineup. Exactly. No, we'll, we'll mention that to Mark. Do you, do you guys not want to make history? Is that it? 
Yeah. Are you not looking at the numbers? They're obvious. I would love to hear you say that the next time there's a Tuesday on a game. Mark, I don't know if you're aware, but when Aaron starts on a Tuesday, you guys have never lost, ever. Just throwing that yeah, out there. Yeah, I, I, I like looking up the random stats. So, I mean, they're they're very visible, but in on the front page of the Thunder's game notes, it breaks down their record east versus west, home versus away, but it also breaks it down by day of the week, which is like kind of irrelevant, right? No one talks about, you know, I, I guess except us right now, what, what they are on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or whatever. Um, but they they sort it for us, so I, I give it a look at times and um, see if they can keep it going. No one talks about it except for us, and that is why you listen to us. We give you the important news, like who's really good on a Tuesday. But just an yeah, incredible yeah. game. Josh Giddy, you mentioned he had 17 in the third quarter. He goes 25 Five assists, five rebounds, zero turnovers on him, 10 of 15 from the field, 60% from three on five attempts. He didn't even play in the last 15 minutes of this game. And I think this is one of the better Josh Giddy performances you're going to see. I mean, the ones that come to mind, he had one um, also against the Celtics on the road earlier this season and in the next game last year and a couple others. But Josh was awesome. He continues to play very, very, very well. Um I actually was was mentioned in in Zach Lowe's Ten Things today, which is always a must read. Just how he's um, kind of the just the unique nature of his game, not knowing what Josh Giddy is ultimately uh, going to become, which we don't know either. Um, but kind of using his size to to get to the rim, using his height to to be a good rebounder. Um, but the shooting is really starting to come around, and you know it's too soon to talk about it right now still would like to get more of a sample size, but just where he is as a three-point shooter right now compared to where he was last year is an immense improvement. And I, I know he didn't shoot it as well in Orlando, but I think he attempted seven threes. So it just shows kind of like the confidence that he has in getting that shot off. Like he's talked about before, not worrying about people questioning whether or not he can he can shoot it, just kind of going out there doing his thing. Um, obviously he's not going to get reckless with it, but it's heading in a positive direction. Yeah, I talked to him uh, about the same thing after the Celtics game of his shot improving and just seeing the um, fruits of his labor there and talking about that, you know, when you fix your shot, it's not like a light switch that you just turn on. It's like, oh, now I can shoot forever. This is just how it is. It's going to be ups and downs, but it was very, very um, encouraging to see for him. And like you mentioned, love the confidence can't make any threes if you refuse to attempt any, and he's at least trying it. We've seen guys in Thunder Pass and NBA history pass of young guys who didn't have confidence in their shot, and they just shy away from it completely. But at least with Josh, confidence is definitely not an issue. But speaking of three-point shooting, the Thunder as a team, Joe, were 50% from three, 20 of 40. Seven out of the ten guys who played minutes in that game shot uh, made at least two threes and shot over 40% from deep. It, it was one of those nights where... It was like, it's like the the stars, the planets, the other celestial objects floating in the sky were all aligned for a perfect night for the Thunder. Like Trey Mann had a three-pointer, I think it was in the third or the fourth. He banks it in and kind of gives like a Jordan shrug, like, "Ah, what what are you going to do? And just to, it's like the opposite happened for the Celtics. Jalen Brown, who's an 80% free throw shooter, airballed a free throw. It's like nothing was going in for the Celtics. They were completely disoriented and disinterested as they basically admitted after the game. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon said that when they saw Shea wasn't going to play, they all relaxed a little bit. 
Marcus Smart totally lost his cool, um, was a was ejected from the game and then later fined, as we found out yesterday. Tatum and Brown put up big numbers, but it's like it wasn't very impactful. So yeah, just a just a wild, wild night um, for the Thunder when Shea was sidelined with a sickness. Yeah, I mean, I even asked Joe Mazzullo about that pregame about when Shea was out. You know, how do you guys prepare differently? He goes, well, the instinct is to relax, but we're not going to do that. And then uh, Malcolm Brogdon immediately proved that wrong in postgame. Pretty funny, but um, I, I'll take any more Joe time I can get between you, Joe Mazzullo, and then Isaiah Joe, who was also great, had a huge dunk, which I think surprised the entire fan base and crowd in the arena. Um, Isaiah Joe was awesome. It looked like he was just draining threes from all over, even if he was only three of seven. Just his impact was felt just throughout the entire game, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm learning new things about Isaiah Joe, and it sounds like you are too, and so is the rest of the world. I had no idea he had that kind of um, leaping ability. Not only did he throw it down uh, in the in the second half, in the first half, he went right at Marcus Smart and tried to put Smart on a poster. And um, this is the uh, this is the reigning defensive player of the year, and this is Isaiah Joe, who's not supposed to walk inside the three point arc. So. Just a wild night from Isaiah Joe. He is he's very fun. Um, he's he continues to be a revelation for the Thunder. Continues to shoot the ball well and is showing off other parts of his game, which he said he was going to do. And now now here we are. I think an underrated aspect of his game. I'm I'm not going to pretend he's a lockdown defender, but I think he really gives a lot of effort on that side of the ball. I think he um, plays with kind of the force that Mark Dignall talks about. Um, and he's really taken advantage of this opportunity, and it's been cool to see. I mean, we talk about Lou Dort as a stopper. There are not many stoppers in the league, even if, with Dort. You're not stopping Luca or some of these guys. The best you can do is just really get a good contest and make things difficult, and I think Isaiah Joe does that. He's not the biggest guy, but he does have a decent frame and length, and he's a good athlete, as we saw with some of those dunks. So pretty encouraging. Another guy who's been struggling on both ends, but was making some threes, making some dunks, and defensive plays was Trey Mann. Uh, he really impressed me. I don't know what it is about Trey playing at, uh, at home against the Celtics, but he has continued to be good. He had the great quote afterwards about stealing the ball from Sam Hauser in the full court and then dunking it where he said that he and Kenrich talk about it a lot, that certain guys, you can just tell, don't want the ball. He said Sam Hauser, I could tell he didn't want the ball, so I just went ahead and took it and then got the dunk. <laughs> He said it so matter-of-factly, and it's like, yeah, Sam Hauser did not want the ball. Sam Hauser wants the ball in his shooting pocket, and he wants to rise and fire. Sam Hauser does not want to try to bring the ball across half court. Um, I thought that was the play of the game, to be honest, just because it was such a tone setter. Like, Trey Mann, a guy not known for his defense, sees that, okay, this guy clearly does not want to put the ball on the deck, steals it, fast break the other way for a dunk, and... Um, that was it was a big time energy play, got the fans going. The crowd was really good all, all night. I thought so. Yeah, fun fun game in general. Three steals and two blocks from him. Lou Dort had a pretty balanced night. Twenty three points, eight of fifteen from the floor, three of six. He guarded Tatum pretty well, made him work for his points. And the last thing we'll hit on this game is just Jada because he was just awesome in that one, Joe. I thought the crowd and the the arena was about to fall apart if he hit that three at the end of the quarter. Whenever I think he had like back to back dunks where he went like the full length of the floor, but he is just dunking everything and he's been becoming more and more of an NBA Twitter darling as a type of uh, 
young prospect that people are really enjoying. But it's been really, really exciting to see just the uh, the wave of support for um, the Thunder rookie. Of the athletic had him third in his rookie rankings, which um, they weren't predictive rankings. They were what have you done this year rankings. But I was still even surprised to see that. But he's catching everyone's eye. The dunks are crazy. Like the again, I, I, I we keep repeating this, but like he did not show this level of athleticism at Santa Clara, and he was there three years. It, it's like he looks like a guy who just figured out that. He, he could dunk or that the lane is a trampoline, I guess, for him because he's throwing it down and not just throwing it down, he's snapping the rim back and it's like every every dunk of his is loud. Um, he, he's got the emotions going after after he does it. And yeah, it's it's been fun to see. I mean, th- this guy has been incredibly good from an efficiency standpoint from just smart, knowing where to be on the floor, cutting, can really understands what the Thunder wants to do offensively. The three-point shot, that's something to worry about next year, two years down the road. I mean, it's clearly not there yet, but um, he certainly projects to be a better shooter than he is now, but he's doing enough of the other things where um, you don't want to nitpick too much. Yeah, just really exciting. I think you're seeing some of the seniority and just veteran stuff from him being a guy who played more time in college. Obviously, the Thunder love their young guys who have a lot more runway and a lot more potential. But I think you're seeing the benefit this one time in a guy who has a few more pelts on the wall, a little bit more basketball played because he's been able to just plug and play in the system. But to wrap it up, the Thunder win and they score a... um, franchise record 150 points and they score 150 points on the Celtics which is the second most ever scored on the Boston Celtics only trailing the Detroit Pistons who scored 160 in 1979 yeah I don't know if people know this but the Celtics have been playing basketball for a long time so anytime you're you're on the right side of Celtics history you've done something and the 150 points franchise record I mean Think of all the offensive, just just special supernova scores the Thunder has had: Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Paul George, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who didn't play. And on the night they break the record, it's it's this night of all nights against a really good Boston team, a great Boston team. And the previous Thunder record for points in a game was one forty nine. Took them two overtimes to do that, and then they turn around and score 150 in regulation. So, again, just like one of those nights where you show up thinking one thing, you leave, and it's like the total opposite has happened. Um, Very dumbfounded is what I was as I was leaving the arena. And then basically the exact opposite happens the next night uh, in Orlando is the uh, Magic beat the Thunder. They get revenge after the Thunder beat them in Oklahoma City earlier this season. Shea in his return looked pretty good. 33 points, 8 of 19 from the field. Only one three-point attempt that he didn't make. 17 of 18 from the line. Just pretty good stuff from Shea in his return despite some time off. Yeah, Shea tied his career high with 17, made free throws. I did not think he would play in Orlando. I didn't even think he'd make the trip. So this was the second night, obviously, of a home road back-to-back. Shea is sick, you know, really shortly before tip-off in that Celtics game, and then they fly out right after the game, so I didn't even think he'd be on the plane. Um, 
he was on the plane and on the court in Orlando. I thought he played well considering the circumstances. Um, really put a lot of pressure on the rim. It turned into a total free throw fest in, in the last two quarters. Um, but yeah, he was he was good, and I think it shows like his competitiveness that he even played in that game because again, I don't think anyone would have been surprised if he sat. It was quite the opposite. So um, kind of a kind of gives me the sense that like you know he's he's going to be out there every chance he can get. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, Shea, I was also very, very surprised when they said he was going to play. I assume the same as you. It's like, well, he's not playing tonight in a home game. They're leaving at like 4 a.m. or they're going to get there at 4 a.m. He hasn't played. He's been sick. And then, of course, he's out there and then plays pretty great. Mark said that there was, you know, some conditioning things, which is going to happen if you're sick. But overall, pretty good from him. I thought the Thunder played well against Wendell Carter Jr., who, as you tweeted, had his first ever two 30-point games, both career highs against the Thunder. They hold him to only uh, 13 points and 13 rebounds. Still a nice double-double, but did a much better job on him. Paolo was incredible. I, I fear for the Eastern Conference and the teams that have to match up for with him and uh, game plan for him once he truly evolves and like matures and figures everything out, even though he's already like a, a man-child, but... Paolo was pretty incredible to watch and a good solid effort by Lou Dort guarding a guy who's um, just as stocky as him, but about six inches taller. Yes, Paolo Bencaro is special um, already. He, he's going to be special. He's going to be a force in this league and exactly the guy. I mean, it's early, but by all indications, um, you know, we don't know what Chet looks like, but it, it looks like the the Magic nailed that number one pick because – Paolo has size, he's got the scoring, he's a super underrated passer. Um, people have already been more impressed with the defense uh, this year than what he showed last season at Duke. Um, we, we thought that might be a liability, it hasn't been so far. I mean, he's just the fulcrum point for this Magic team, which has got a lot of really fun parts around him, and they were missing a lot of guys because of that um fight in Detroit, the suspensions and everything. So no Franz Wagner, no no Mo Wagner. Um, Bull Bull was out in, in health and safety protocols. Jalen Suggs was out. So everything kind of flowed through Ben Caro. He hit some really big shots in the fourth quarter just as the Thunder was trying to creep back into the game. And it seemed like he always had the answer. So I was I was very impressed by Paolo. No, he was awesome. And then great to see uh, Markel Fultz playing well at any time. That warms my heart. But uh it was a interesting game, ups and downs of just development there from the Thunder as they beat the best team in the NBA in the Boston Celtics and then lose to the Magic, who are you know in a similar position of a rebuilding team like the Thunder. Some of the things that stood out to me, um, Lou Dort, just his finishing is just continues to be perplexing on some of these things because he's just not shooting very well from inside the lane. I don't know if it's that he can't finish or he doesn't have touch, but he gets to the basket and he's really great at doing that but he's just not a consistent finisher so to put in that perspective he's shooting 54 percent joe from zero to three feet from the basket and 33 percent from three to ten feet for context j-dub is 75 percent from zero to three feet shooting and 42 percent from three to ten feet away from the basket yeah i mean those are those are really discouraging numbers for door and encouraging numbers um, for J-Dub. And last year, one of the 
you know, things we talked about the most was, you know, Lou really has to start finishing better. And then he started finishing better. He made some improvements, and now he's regressed a little bit. Um, just overall, his two-point percentage has dipped by a couple of points this year from where it was last season. It does look like a touch thing. It's like he's got so much speed and so much steam behind him when he drives to the rim, and then he gets there, and it kind of clanks off. Like it, The way he releases the ball matches like how quick he's moving and the force in which he's moving um, rather than that touch that you'd like to see. Um, who knows? Maybe he can turn it around. It, it, it's a very long season. But I, I I thought that was pretty glaring against the Magic. I mean, there was one play where he made a, made a great move to get to the rim, and, and all he did was miss the finish, which looked like a fairly easy one. Yeah, I, just, I guess I'd ask for him to be a little bit more selective on some of these takes where he has them I mean because I think he's somebody who's developing as a passer where he can hit those kickouts but it just feels like as soon as he gets in the lane it's like well this one's going up we're going to figure out how it's going to go up not sure if it's going to make it but I'm getting this shot up so Lou Dort yeah a little bit much more to be desired on some of that uh, game from him just in terms of finishing but Overall, you know, the Thunder lose, but hopefully they can uh, bounce back today. I thought it was also very, very interesting. You know, Jay Will gets hurt. We've already talked a lot about the injuries with the big men for this Thunder team, but Darius Baisley doesn't even get any minutes in that game. Yeah, it's uh, for anyone who's not paying attention. I I think it's become increasingly clear that Darius Baisley doesn't have much of a future with this team. I'd be... I'd be fairly stunned if he's on the team next year. I'd be pretty pretty stunned if he's on the team post-trade deadline this season just because, I mean, you mentioned it. It's like Jay Will goes out, they have no size at all, and Baisley still doesn't come in. Like even even Ben Carroll, right? The, the way Baisley plays, he seems like kind of an ideal matchup to, to, cont- to contain Ben Carroll. Dort obviously is going to be the starter on him, but Baisley's got more length, um, got the quickness to, to maybe catch up with him. And, you know, Baisley, for all of his offensive flaws, has proven to be a, a, a very good defender, especially when he's locked in. I just think right now the, the body language leaves a little to be desired. I, I think the Thunder is not real interested in, in him either, and both sides seem to – you know, the writing is on the wall. I think both sides are a little checked out is how I've described it. I, I don't know how much longer this is going to last because it just kind of seems like a, I don't want to say unsalvageable situation because that makes it feel like Baisley is like a big part of this team when in reality, he's just not. I mean, he's a guy we've watched play a ton of basketball over the last couple of years as much as anyone on the team, you know, outside of Shea and Lou Dort. Um, but as the Thunder continues to improve, as they continue to add pieces who fit their style of play, um, basically is just kind of fallen out and, and isn't one of those guys anymore. Yeah, unsalvageable. I don't think it's something that they're going to turn around where Darius Baisley is going to end up being a producer the, for this team or a long-term piece. I think it's just time. It's it's run its course, this relationship, and it's time for a breakup and both sides go their separate ways. But just to finish off on that, he gets a DNP with the lack of size. Jay Will gets hurt. No Eugene, no Jang, no Poku, no JRE, no Chet, just no front line at all. And that 
I guess was not, I guess that was the biggest reason why the Thunder lost that one. Size was too much. Orlando wins the rebounding battle 49 to 33. The Thunder are minus 16 in that. And then points in the paint, the Magic outscore them 48 to 30, minus 18 for the Thunder. So overall, just um, not the greatest, but that's just the ups and downs of a season as a young team, as we're talking about as we move forward. So I did want to ask you about. How should fans process these wins and losses that feel like huge momentum shifts? Because it feels like there's been times where it's like they lose the Houston Rockets and the fan base is really down. Charlotte a couple weeks ago, and then they beat Boston, and they have some other big wins, and it's just like constant highs and lows. So, you know, how do you think fans should evaluate how this team works uh, throughout the season? I would say take the season and, and separate it into, you know, large chunks, months of games rather than game to games because you are going to get lost in the highs and lows and um, just not know how you're supposed to feel after watching Celtics and Magic. Also got to understand the Magic for as many guys as they were missing, they had a four-day break, which is like very uncommon in the NBA and the Thunder run on the second night of a back-to-back. So sometimes it's just a scheduling thing as much as anything. Um but yeah, this is, it's still a young team. It's still, you know, a, a flawed team from a competitive standpoint. So just focus on the development. And that's what we were saying the last couple of years. Um, but it was harder to commit yourself to do that when the on-court product was so bad. Now the Thunder, you know, for as maybe lackluster as that Magic game was, they're competitive pretty much every single night. Um, their point differential reflects that. Um, they're a far easier watch than the Spurs or the Rockets or the Pistons or, or some of these other teams at the bottom of the standings. So, um, yeah, I would say just don't put too much stock into to one game because it's not like if they beat the Celtics, okay, the Thunder have arrived. No, like they beat the Celtics without their most important player on the floor. I, I, don't, I don't think we should be judging this team when Shea Gilgis-Alexander doesn't even play. Um, so... Yeah, just sit back and enjoy the show. I'm sure everyone will be able to take that advice. Exactly. Copyright, um, trademark, development is not linear. Progress is not linear. Mark Dagnall, shout out to you for that one. But just talking about that, the Thunder's average uh, player has 1.94 years of NBA experience. The average age of the roster is 23 uh, years old. That's the second youngest team in NBA history, as we've talked about, only behind the Thunder last season. Prime age for most NBA players is around the 27 to 32, you know, age category. So we have a long runway for a lot of these guys. And like you mentioned, it's harder in the past few years to be patient with development because you don't, you're not seeing as much. But now you're seeing the development, you're seeing different guys. But I do wonder about the patience for some parts of the fan base who have uh, definitely voiced their opinion in the last couple of years. As a 29-year-old man, I, I don't feel like I'm in the middle of my prime, as, as you just outlined, but it is encouraging to know that um, I am and that I could could improve. Um, but uh, what, what were you saying, the, the fan? Like, do you think fans are still concerned or, like, still tired of this? No, I think that there are some people who are just, like, the natural progression of things, and as we're, like, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I think there are some people It's like, oh, well, Shea's good now. Now we push in now we push in some assets and we start trying to win something and it's like no you need to be patient you can't be like the Atlanta Hawks or the Charlotte Hornets of the past few years where you get like one flicker of like opportunity or you see things going well and then you jump on that for very very short term 
success. I think that the longer you stay patient with these guys and their development and mark in this plan, I think the more it's going to pay off. That's not guaranteeing a championship or a long-term contender, but I think you're going to see a very, very competitive team that plays in a lot of playoff series. Yeah, let's let's think of an analogy here. It's like if you're on a, a, a very long road trip, a cross country road trip. You're you know you're you're moseying along. Um, you've got confidence behind the wheel. You're 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 going maybe five miles over the speed limit, but not too much over. And then you can see your destination. And then you speed up. And then you get pulled over and you know get a ticket and and everything sucks. The Thunder doesn't want to treat the rebuild like like that. They're they're in no rush to speed up or to accelerate this thing. Um, again, Chet Holmgren is on the sidelines right now. He's not going to play until next season. The arguably the second most important part of this rebuild isn't playing. So they're not going to do anything before they see what he can become. Um, this season has already been deemed a success in my book, just by the way that Shea Gilgis-Alexander um, has progressed with what Jalen Williams is doing as a rookie. So, yeah, I mean, this this is not a time where the Thunder is going to push in the chips to try to make the play-in. If they stumble into the play-in, they stumble into it. But... Uh, I can guarantee you that is not a goal of the organizations right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just think that sometimes, not even sometimes, I think the Thunder fan base is spoiled in a way just because all the stars aligned for that first team where, you know, they're bad for one year. My dad always jokes about uh, the process and the Kings have been suffering for years and the Thunder fans suffered for one year uh, with the pre-James Harden team, and they immediately make the playoffs, and then conference finals, conference finals, finals. They make the fi- uh, the conference finals four out of the next six years in total after that um, their first couple of years in the playoffs. So I do wonder just about the fan base understanding that you know it's not a very very quick process for a lot of these teams. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't win a championship until his seventh season. Yeah, I mean it, this is. I, I know we have to talk about this because everyone's been talking about it for a couple of years now, but it's kind of a ridiculous premise. I mean, the Thunder was in the playoffs. I, I mean, I, I know this pandemic seems like it's lasted forever, but the Thunder was in the playoffs when this thing, you know, started in the bubble in 2020, playing the Rockets, taking them to seven games. This is now year three of the rebuild. There are only two drafts into the rebuild. They've had two top 10 picks in, um, I mean, four lottery picks, but, but you know, as far as, like, chasing that, that upside, they get Giddy at number six, Chet at number two. Next season, or this summer, will be their third draft of the rebuild. Like, just look around. Like, the, the Spurs, who are finally awful and realizing they need to tank, you know, they don't get nearly the criticism, I think, on an organizational level but the Thunder has been in the playoffs more recently than the Spurs have been in the playoffs. Like, I I think sometimes people ask me, like, why do you think the Thunder is getting so much, like, criticism over this, like, not realizing the timelines of all these things? And I think it really comes down to the transparency of Sam Presti. And I I think he kind of brought it on himself, but in a good way. But like writing that op-ed in the Oklahoma and outlining exactly what they were going to do, being very clear in his exit interview and preseason press conferences, here's what we're going to do. 
here's not the timeline because that's never been explicitly said because it doesn't exist, but like here's the process of how this is going to go. Whereas if you just act like you're competing or pretend like you're going to be a contender and then you're awful, no one really pays attention to you. I mean, there's tons of bad teams year after year. The Kings, the Kings, the Kings, the Kings. It's good to see them play better this year. No one, no one's like on the Hornets as much as they've been on the Thunder. The Hornets are just totally mismanaged and incompetent on an organizational level. So I think it's they've definitely brought attention to themselves, kind of like the process Sixers, although Hinky never talked um, publicly really when he was leading the Sixers. Um, but I think those are those are sort of the main reasons. And then you mentioned spoiled. Yes, Thunder fans are extremely, extremely spoiled. I'm sure I'm flattering everyone by saying that. But, I mean, <laughs> there was one bad season, and then there was like a dynasty for a decade, and you've had some of the best players of our generation come in um, through here and play for the Thunder, and it's been a little rough, a lot rough for the last two seasons, not, not even as much this season. And people are like, you know, why aren't, why aren't they trading for uh, what whatever? Why aren't why, why aren't they going now? And it's like people, I mean, look around like it's it's kind of easy to see what the process is right now. I'm not saying it's ever going to end in a championship. Odds are it won't. But I think as a small market team, they're they're on the right path to like building a contender. And and I think this is kind of the only way to do it yeah you just got to give yourself a puncher's chance but it reminds me not for you because you're making a uh, big bank as a uh, the thunder guy oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. but uh for people I, I guess i would compare it to it's like just saving up and eating cereal for a couple days so you can go get a nice steak dinner rather than just like eating a couple regular meals every single day the thunder in my opinion they're just saving up they're saving it for the right time rather than just being average for a few years at a time and like you mentioned, it's only been a couple of years, and the uh, progress is evident. I mean, the Thunder win the other night by over 30. Their largest margin of victory in the 21-22 season last year was 21. They beat the Nets 130-109 to on January 13th, and then the Thunder beat the then number one seed Suns um, with Point Poku on April 3rd. And then in 2020, 2021, their largest margin of victory that season was 17 when the Thunder beat the Rockets 104 to 87 on February 3rd. And then, of course, they beat the Celtics by 33 on Tuesday. So you're seeing improvement uh, over and over and over. And, you know, obviously they have a huge loss last year. You're not seeing as many of those this year. But there, there is improvement, even if it's not always just categorized as they're winning a ton more games this year than last year. Because if you're just looking at the win-loss category, you're not going to be that impressed. But if you watch the on-court product and some of, like, into-the-weeds things, you can see that this team is progressing. Yeah, more so than looking at the margin of victory numbers. I mean, look at the margin of defeat numbers. It's just a much, much closer thunder. I mean, the clutch numbers bear it out. Just much more competitive this season, but... Yeah, I, I, I think we've adequately covered this topic. Well, I was so good at trivia just a few days ago. Um, the largest margin of victory in Thunder history 
I, 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 I do not know. Is that an acceptable answer? Yes, that is very close. It was 45, and it happened actually twice in the same season. It was um, the season after the finals where they uh, trade James Harden and have that uh, awesome team before Russell Westbrook gets hurt. But they beat the Charlotte Bobcats by 45, 114-69, and the New Orleans Hornets 119-74. That was in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes year. Okay, I don't feel too bad that I missed that because you just named two teams that no longer exist, at least by the names that you just called them. So um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to beat myself up too much for missing that. I wouldn't, and you know me, I'm going to bring up the Bobcats as any uh, opportunity that I can. Yeah, although it's like the, let's see here, Charlotte Bobcats. Yeah, it's it gets so confusing how the Hornets' name has gone from. Charlotte to New Orleans, back to Charlotte, but different franchises. But anyway, enough of that. Enough of that. Good, good trivia question, though. Um, I've been stumped yet again. Maybe it'll be, it'll just be better when I actually get one of these things. I'm gonna leak some answers to you one time. We we did that on a TV show for. Oh, you remember um, we did trivia and one of our co-hosts couldn't get any trivia, so they fed her the answer in her IFB, and she still got it wrong on live TV. <laughs> one of my favorite times. <laughs> oh boy, we we should avoid that. If you feed me the answer, I'm still gonna incorrectly give an answer because I I am no fan of cheating. Too much integrity from Joe Masato. But uh, there is a a big problem in Oklahoma City, quote unquote big, with the bigs as we talked about with Eugene being out, Chet. Um, we have Usman Jang, JRE, and now J Will. The Thunder in these next five games, are uh, Joe, are playing against Kristaps Porzingis tonight, Christian Wood, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Vucevic. Uh, just pretty interesting, just the roster, I guess, and the uh, concerns just size-wise, because they have some pretty big guards, but just overall post defenders. They're looking very, very lean, and as we talked about with the Orlando game, it seemed like that was a very, very big problem for them, any teams with size and rebounding. Yeah, listen, it, it's a glaring problem. We we can see that. They can see that. It's just not a problem that needs to be addressed right now. I don't I don't think and you you sort of have to understand what we were just talking about with the the context of this team and the rebuild and their competitiveness. Like they're if if they were pushing for a play-in spot, if they were trying to to fight for playoff seeding, maybe you maybe you do make a a quick move to bolster your front court at a big man but you know is Embiid gonna bully the heck out of them is Porzingis gonna swat everything is um you know whoever Christian Wood is he, he gonna roll to the rim and just be unstoppable probably um but I mean it's not it's not the end of the world for for the Thunder it's it's one of those things where it's like they're not they're not necessarily I mean, the front office isn't like treating every game like it, it, it's a must-win situation where you've got to make sure you cover up all, all the holes. This is a hole that clearly exists. Other teams are going to see it. The Thunder knows it exists. But I don't think just because J-Will, J-R-E, Poku, Jang, whoever else is out, um, that that's going to be something that, that they address. I mean, this will be the ultimate tell, right, on Darius Baisley, who's played a lot of backup center if he still can't get on the floor, well, then I don't know what what's what's going on. Um, I mean, I know what's going on, but it's like just just 
just do something move, move on from each other both just like walk away in opposite directions um you know maybe you know mike mescala will be out there we've seen kenrich williams uh play small ball five i think we could even see like aaron wiggins as a small ball five like it's going to get wacky it's not going to make any sense but it's not really supposed to make sense so i guess don't read too much into it yeah i wouldn't either um if anybody's out there thinking oh well miles turner will just change my life no he won't that's why he's been on the trade block for the like the last 10 years or something like that it's not that much of an impact for something like that. And there's just no reason to sacrifice future valuable assets just to patch a bullet wound with a Band-Aid just for a little bit for the upcoming weeks until you get those guys back. Um, So I'm not anticipating a trade. I did mention to you, if you want to speculate, which obviously this is not a source thing, but let's bring back Olivier Saar, just have another Thunder guy. Seven foot, he's a free agent right now. He got cut by the... uh, Portland Trailblazers but I think just even as a 10-day guy I think that would help fill some gaps as somebody who understands the Thunder culture and the Thunder just as a team and what they're asking for them just just let's fill in the gaps here until we can get some of the guys back I, I want to I'll certainly address Olivier Saar because um, I, I mean who doesn't love Olivier Saar and the Thunder certainly loves Frenchmen um, but back to the Miles Turner thing. You said would the Thunder make Miles or would Miles Turner make the Thunder better? Yeah, I mean he'd make the Thunder better this season and heck maybe next season. But like think about the fit. The, I mean they've got Chet Holmgren coming in next year. They don't want to occupy cap space before they even know what this team looks like or what this team is. So like yeah, would Miles Turner help them tonight against Kristaps Porzingis? Sure. But the Thunder aren't looking for help tonight against Kristaps Porzingis because in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to matter. Whenever the Thunder is competitive again, we're not going to be sitting here thinking, oh, gosh, you remember that January 6th game? We just had no size at all. And, you know, it's like no one's going to remember that. Um, Okay, Olivier Saar, the Thunder could do something like this. And I actually just looked this up before we came on the podcast. Um, teams are eligible to sign 10-day players as of January 5th, so so one day ago. And the Thunder rolled through 10-day players last season. I think they could do something. It's, it's a little soon to do it now. I think it is something they could explore later in the season because that's a way to kind of see what other guys could bring without committing anything. Like, 10-day guys, you can sign a 10-day guy to two 10-day contracts, a total of 20 days, if I'm doing my math right. Um, and then you cycle through another one. So, like, last season, Jalen Horde, Scotty Hobson, I mean, Olivier Saar, th- those types of players would be available on, on a 10-day contract. DJ Wilson could be another. So, will they do something like that? I, I would guess. I don't know, like, how soon that, that could happen. Um Another option they could they could move on from Lindy Waters or Eugene Omarui as as a two way player bring in a, a, another two way player with like more size if that's really what they wanted to do I don't think they're in a rush to do that either but there are some like ancillary things they could do without you know picking up the phone and and making a trade or um, making a, like tying up legitimate money to to a big man. 
Yeah, I mean, there are options. That doesn't mean they're going to use them, but there are options that the Thunder and Sam Presti are going to have. And then to wrap up just on this point, like you mentioned with Miles Turner, I don't think the Thunder are going to be in a big hurry to trade at all, but especially not to trade future valuable assets for a guy who doesn't really change your life. I think that he can help a little bit, like you said, he can in the short term. But long term, it's not like something where it's like, God, can you believe that we traded for Miles Turner? Like, look how this worked out. Like, everything's fixed now. I mean, he's not changing life for the um, Indiana Pacers, and the Thunder are better than the Pacers, obviously. Well, not obviously. They have a more exciting young talent, at least in my opinion, between Shea and Chet rather than Benedict Mather and, and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. But if he's not really changing the life for that team, it's just hard for me imag- to imagine it would just change everything for the Thunder or a guy on that level to trade for them. So I think... The more than likely scenario is a 10-day or for them to just stay pat and uh, wait and survive until they get some guys healthy and back. Yeah, and some of these guys are going to be back you know, fairly soon. I know we don't have a, a real window on, on JRE, but you know he's, he's recovering from an ankle sprain, so that's not as serious as like the injury to Poku. Jay Will um, also has an ankle sprain. These things can vary in severity, so... He could be back in two days or two weeks. I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, you bring up a good point on Turner. As far as, like, okay, is this guy going to change change our lives here? They're not going to trade for Miles Turner and be like, hmm, wonder if this is going to change our lives. They're going to get to a point where the team is in a very good spot and there's a, a hole or a position or a role that they're, like, we have to fill this. And then they go out and get a guy that can fill that exact role. They, you don't just do it blindly before you see what this team um, is even going to, to become. Um, people might be throwing things at how much I'm repeating this, but they're not going to do anything drastic until they see what Chet Holmgren is or could be. Yeah, don't try to fix your problems before you even know what the problems are, I think is what Presti said at one point. But I think that's enough on that. And then our final topic is about Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Joe, the first round of all-star voting came out, or we got an update on it. Shea currently sits fourth in the West in all-star voting for guards with 911,774 votes, only trailing Ja Morant with 915,507 votes. He leads SGA by almost 4,000 votes. And then the top two are uh, very far away as Luca and Steph, uh, both over uh, 2 million votes and then Shea also is a distant uh fourth passing up Clay Thompson who is let's see here nearly 400,000 votes behind Shea so I guess the question to you is it, what is the case for Shea to start and then um what would that mean for the Thunder team um the case for Shea to start I, I think is fairly self-explanatory he does have you know he's going to have a games played advantage and and probably a, a significant one over Steph Curry. Um, he does not have a case to start over Luka Doncic. There's going to be two st- starting guards from the West. I think Doncic is clearly going to be one of those guys. Um, I've outlined his case over Curry, although I think Curry would ultimately get in ahead of Shea in that starting lineup. And then Ja Morant, um, Shea has a, a statistical edge overall over Morant, but Morant has team context on his side and competitiveness. And if that's a tiebreaker, it's going to go to Ja. But my takeaway from this is that Shea's in a really good spot. I mean, 
so just to just to give folks a, an idea of how this works, the numbers you saw yesterday are only for starters. This is all star starters only. And even though the game is not East versus West, um, this voting is still divided between East front court, East guards, West front court, West guards. And there's going to be five starters from the West, five starters from the East. They're just not going to necessarily play against each other in the game. Um, so, and this is just the fan vote that we're talking about, which accounts for 50% of the starters' votes. I know this is getting a little confusing, but bear with me. The other 50% is divided between players and media. Um, media gets 25% of the vote. Players get 25% of the vote as well. Um, so, Steph and Luca certainly have a clear edge in the fan vote, which accounts for 50%. Um, again, I think Luca is going to get in pretty much unanimously as a starter with the players and with the media. I think the media could look at the games played thing a little more than the players might and the fans certainly might as far as Steph. But Steph is an icon, was you know obviously playing so, so well before that injury. I'd be very surprised if, if Shea started um, over him, but... Basically, you look at this into a couple of tiers. It's it's Steph and Luca at the top in a tier of their own. Then it's um, John and Shea are in that second tier, and then it's a huge dip, as you mentioned, to Clay Thompson. So Shea being fourth in the West among guards is really um, impressive because this All Star voting is just a, a little bonkers when it comes to the fan vote. It's it's largely big market driven. I mean. It's uh, a a little despicable or a lot despicable that Kyrie Irving is the number one point getter in in the East by like thousands and thousands of votes. But that's just how it works. I mean, like Austin Reeves is is among the top 10, Russell Westbrook, um, Kevon Looney. So I I say all this to say like some of these big market teams, L.A., New York, Brooklyn, um, they're all up there, Golden State, but but Shea's in a good spot. Sorry for the long answer. What would you have said? I couldn't have believed it last year if somebody said, yeah, Shea in one year from now is going to be top four in West uh, Guard all-star voting among fans. I mean, obviously it's not the end-all be-all, as like you mentioned with some of those guys who probably shouldn't be in that conversation. I remember the Lakers tried to get Caruso in there for a couple of years. There was the giant Zaza Pachulia thing that I think led to the thing where it wasn't starters were voted 100% by fans. So we've been through a lot of ups and downs with that, but I don't know. I guess the only case would be is that Luca maybe is not a guard. He should just be Luca in his own position. We just do two guards and two uh, forward spots after that. But should be really interesting. The game's played. You know, you never know. Maybe somebody turns an ankle there uh, and Shea gets bumped up into a starting spot. But it's not super uncommon for NBA players to start their first All-Star game, Joe. Um, I just did some research before this, and in the last five years, Andrew Wiggins, John Morant, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Pascal Siakam, and Joel Embiid all started in their very first All-Star selection. Yeah, I mean, the Wiggins one was K-pop driven, but um, yeah, that's, that, that is, that's interesting. Um, my, my whole thing, and I said this the other day, but I think the NBA has done a great job marketing this whole All-Star starters thing because – Correct me if I'm wrong. On Basketball Reference, at the top right-hand corner, 
it does not distinguish between an all-star starter and an all-star. Like we don't talk about when we're, when we're assessing a player's career or comparing greats, we don't say this guy was a eight time all-star starter and a 10 time all-star. We just say what they were, how many times they made the all-star team. Um, so I, I mean, I think Shea, it would be a great honor for him, I assume, to start. I think Thunder fans would think it would be pretty cool if he starts. But he's a certainty to get in. The coaches vote on the reserves. Um, I think he is admired around the league. And also, if, if the coaches who don't really vote, it's assistants, PR staff, whatever, I think if they look and say, okay, you know, Shea got the fourth most votes from the fans, like he's going to get in. So, um yeah, I don't know. What do you think of the whole all-star starter thing? I feel like we didn't even used to talk about that. No, I think it's more of an arrival thing if he's named that way. Um, not necessarily a coronation, but it's just like, here's his spot on the scene of just like, Shay's here. Shay's one of these guys. And like we talked about, Andrew Wiggins kind of throws a, a monkey wrench into some of that. I mean, there were times you remember when Detroit Allen Iverson was voted as a starter. So it's not the end-all, be-all. Um, I think that there are some unintended consequences, but it's more so just in the fact that, Joe, if he starts the All-Star game, I have a hard time believing he's not going to make an All-NBA team, and that is what uh, does truly matter. I looked it up on Basketball Reference. There is no uh, official title that says All-Star Starter, but there is something that says All-NBA, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me I'm just being uh, pessimistic or having some Thunder PTSD, but I remember back to the Thunder first under iteration with the Rose rule that was kind of dropped on them. And Kevin Durant's deal goes from 25% of the cap to 30% after making all NBA team. So I think the Thunder would be gladly happy and smiling, walking to the bank to write that check for Shea because he's the type of guy you envision giving this uh, contract to and making the face of your franchise. But there are some unintended consequences of it just does make uh, team building and roster construction just another little monkey wrench in there. Yes, the the cost of doing business, if you will. I, I think Shea is destined to make an All NBA team, and I know that's that's a big statement. But right now, if everyone sat down and did their voting, I'm pretty confident that he would be closer to heck. He might even make second team, but he's closer. If we talk about you know, maybe he'll sneak into the one of the third team spots. I think he's closer to one of the second team spots than he is missing one of the teams altogether. Um, I just think that's one of the that's the kind of season he's he's put up right now. Um, you know, if you hear anyone or or read anyone who's talking about All NBA, Shea is always mentioned. Um, he the the statistical case is going to be hard to ignore. Where the Thunder is at in the standings is going to hurt him some. Never being on national TV is going to hurt him some. Um, but I think right now he's a lock to make the all-star team. And, and I say there's a there's a pretty darn good chance he makes an all-NBA team. Yeah, the all-star team is great, and that's awesome. And there's a little bit more recognition, I think, just from the public. But the all-NBA, that's the historical context. That's the one that really, really matters um, whenever we talk about guys' legacies and different things like that. And if you're an all-NBA guy on any of those first three teams – you know, it's not a one-to-one, but you're essentially a top 15 to top 20 player in the NBA whenever you look at a lot of those things. I mean, there are obviously the spots in the years past where DeAndre Jordan makes a first-team All-NBA or second-team or third-team because we're not in a very uh, thriving center economy in the NBA. But in this NBA where the guys are so skilled, if you can be a 
all NBA guy, you're essentially a top 15 to 20 guy in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, more so now than ever, because the way that you can mess around with the positions and, and like Luca, he, he can only be a guard for the all-star game. Uh, he's almost certainly going to be listed at guard or forward in all NBA. So you're going to be, if you want to sneak another guard in there, you could move Luca down to forward. If you want to sneak another forward down there, Luca at guard. So there's, there's only a few guys who are only listed at one position. So basically it is, if you make an all NBA team, you're a top 15 player in, in the NBA. And that's, that's a huge accomplishment and would be a huge step for Shea. I mean, can you imagine if I told you that? I mean, I mentioned it last, uh, earlier about the all-star starter thing or him being fourth in votes, but if I told Joe you this last year because he wasn't playing that well during this part of the season, if I told you, well, a year from now he's going to be second team All-NBA, what would you say? No, I mean, I, I think I would just sort of stare and, and question your – um, NBA acumen. I I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to totally dismiss this because he he has been a guy who's made incremental improvements year after year. But at some point, that kind of slows down. But instead, for him, it, it's just sped up, and he's reached a, a new level. I'm not going to pretend I thought he was going to to get to this level. Um, but yeah, it's just. I mean, it's it's quite a step for, for Shea. And he, he shouldn't have been an all-star and wasn't last season. He should have been an all-star two seasons ago. Um, but I don't think had the name recognition um, quite at that point. Um, but but this year he's he's got the stats and the and the recognition, I think. Yeah, no, that wasn't in a, a way to say that you didn't think Shea was any good or anything like that, if anybody interprets it that way. It's more so just complimentary of the leap that he's taken from last year to this season as you mentioned he's gotten better every single year it's probably gonna have to slow down at some point where you can't just get better and better forever and just become an all-time become the greatest player of all time I guess if it's at that rate but um Shay the leaps that he's taken he's just really really impressed me and the conversations we're now having with him that seemed crazy a year ago are very very much in the realm of possibilities yeah, like before the year, if you said Shea's a top 25 player, I think that would be viewed as bold. Um, top 25 player, obviously very good. Being a top 15 player or a top 12 player, that's a whole different level. I mean, there's there's different tiers from going from 25 to, to 15 or 25 to 10 or you know 30 or 40, wherever you think he was. Um, I can't remember where, do you know where he was on the ESPN rank? Wasn't it like thirties or forties or something like that? Uh, yeah. Before the, before the year. So he he's just in, he's in a different tier than basically anyone expected. And I think if anyone knew he was going to be something close to this, it would have been us here in Oklahoma city who are watching him every day and see the improvement he's make making. But you know, people from around the NBA um, are certainly noticing it now. Yeah, 36. Yeah, just pretty incredible. But um, get out there if you're a Thunder fan. Vote for those guys. See what happens with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And speaking of voting, make sure to vote the Thunder Butters as your favorite podcast, five-star ratings on Spotify and Apple. Joe, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? I know we have a 
fun game to go to tonight to watch the Wizards. Yeah, nothing uh, nothing that comes to mind this time. Working on a few stories, but I don't know the timing of them and, and what will come first. But um, hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to share here pretty soon. Always a great time talking basketball with you, Joe. I'll see you later. Uh, but thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media at Thunder Buddy or at Thunder Bud Pod, and we'll be back on Tuesday.